Hello there, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another edition of the Just for Kicks podcast, accompanied by my producer and engineer, John Graham. I'm Matthew Klingenberger. John, how's your... Oh, it's still morning, right? Nope, nope. It just uh, turned uh, 12.05. Okay. Well, technically, I've been with you the entire afternoon. So how's your day been going so far? (laughs) Yeah. um, It's been very good, my friend. It's been very good. How about yours? I mean, the sun's shining. Sun's shining. It's not too hot. I mean, I can't complain about that. And I hope that wherever people are listening, that the weather is ideal wherever they may be as well. And whenever they may be, uh, as this will likely be up for the weekend, certainly hope that they are enjoying themselves. Nice day. I haven't looked at the forecast, but I, th- I think we could maybe have a couple good days ahead. But again, that is a shot in the dark. I, I, I do not know. But at any rate, I do know this. We got a good show ahead. I mean, writing this out a few nights ago, it was one of those where I was like, okay, first what we talk about, then once that first idea hits the brain and then the ink hits the page, it's like rolls right into the next one, into the next one. And that's just one of those. I mean, that's the cure for writer's block though, is to get one idea. Exactly. Exactly. Or, or, or yeah, exactly. To, to get that one idea, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a it's a lifesaver. You exactly. Know? It, it really just kind of, yeah. It it it, it helps uh, you roll with the show. Yeah. It's. It, I mean, it's just how it starts. Like once you get that initial blockage out of the way, it, it's like the floodgates are open. Because then, of course, you know, some of it just kind of organically solves itself. They're the big stories, and there's the local ones. And once you find it, once you get going, that's when the fun starts. The fun started right now, as we're we're off and going here on episode two. Later in the show, uh, St. Francis men's head coach, Jake Essig, he's going to join us here for a good chat here just a few minutes from now. Coach Essig will be getting his Cougars, excuse me, USF Cougars set for what is his third year at the helm in South Fort Wayne as they get set to go uh, a little bit later this week. Their home opener, you can catch that August 31st as they'll be back at home there at St. Francis. They do start with two road games but be sure to keep track of those throughout the weekend and then early next week. The Cougars are back at home, hoping for an improved season upon what they did a year ago. We'll talk to Coach Essig about that and also about what he's doing trying to build the program and a couple other key topics regarding soccer and his tenure and uh, just his thoughts on his team, on the game there. And we'll see where uh, where all that goes because that's the fun part about a conversation, especially in sports. You just you never know. You start at point A. Point B could be somewhere completely unexpected, but certainly uh, we'll, we'll enjoy to hear what Coach has to say here in just a few minutes. But, John, I'm excited because this is that time where it starts to transition. It's almost NFL regular season. It's the last week of training camp, and then they, I think, for whatever reason, added an extra week before the start of the, before the, start of the year. I'm not 100% sure why, but I think maybe the players – uh, union negotiated that, but it's that start of the year. Now, baseball is at a big point of the year. The MLS and the NWSL for soccer are getting into the thick of their playoff chase, as well as all soccer leagues here in the United States. College sports have started. The kids are back on campus. Good luck to all of the all of the students. Make sure that you, A, go to class, do your homework, and then after that, Make sure you have a little bit of fun because trust me, it does fly by very, very quickly. But it's all happening. And then, of course, and we're going to talk about this more and more as it comes along. FIFA World Cup is now less than three months away from kicking off in Qatar. Talk a little bit later in the show about how the American team is shaping up, including a rising U.S. presence in the Premier League. We'll also a little bit later in the show talk about how the local teams here in the Midwest, the Chicago Red Stars, Chicago Fire, Indy 11, how they're doing. And well, it wasn't great this past weekend, just as it was last weekend when we when we recorded the episode of the show. So we'll talk a little bit more about where they stand. We'll also talk about what I think is a very, very cool story because we talk about writing here, John. I wrote this show a few nights ago. But then literally last night, before we were set to record, 
didn't even have any of my notes with me. I'm flipping through Instagram. And I saw a story that I think is really, really cool. It's not from our area, but I think should be included. We'll get to that in our What in the Wide World of Soccer segment uh, a little bit later in the program. But first, we want to talk about our local club, Fort Wayne FC. Talked about how their season came to a rather disappointing ending as their win and the final day of regular season play wasn't enough for them to reach the playoffs. But it's like any business. It doesn't stop. There's no offseason. I mean, we, we maybe think that sports have an offseason. No, they don't. It's still like a restaurant. It, it'll be there 12 months a year. Maybe it's more popular during a, a certain season. Even seasonal restaurants have to go through their business operations and strategy. But John, what if I was to tell you we already have Parkview Field, right? There's been the talk about a new arena downtown over the years. Seems like that is all stalled. What would you say about a new stadium, outdoor stadium complex coming to downtown Fort Wayne? I love that idea. Uh, now, uh, is this real or is this just hypothetical? So this harkens back to past winter. The mayor of Fort Wayne, Tom Henry, laid out a proposal to have what would be a soccer-specific stadium within a complex that would include residential areas, uh, business areas, shops, restaurants, that would include a Fort Wayne FC stadium. It's a proposal. It hasn't, to my knowledge, gotten any further, but it's a big part of the club's next step in their story, and that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. I am all... Let me tell you, because Parkview, Parkview Field is so beautiful. You know, uh, the groundskeepers and Mike Nunder, they take such good care. Uh, they take such good care uh, of the field. It is a great venue. You mentioned that. I'd be remiss. I think I told you, John, I worked in the food and beverage department at Parkview Field for six years. It's, you know, I mean, sometimes just doing food isn't glamorous, but you work at that stadium and you have a very unique perspective. When you leave about a- an hour or so after the last fans leave, you see one, a couple of things. Obviously, the ushers, the concessions people, for the most part, they go home. But there are certain groups of people from people that do dishes. They, I mean, they have piles and piles of that to the grounds crew, to the maintenance crew. They work until hours after the game is over with. So I just wanted to give them a quick shout out to, to, to everybody that's there. It, it, is an, it is a thankless job that they have to do that requires a lot of physical and mental difficulties, I'm sure. But they put a lot of that aside in order to ensure the best game day experience. So at Parkview Field, they do a phenomenal job. And if at any future stadiums or arenas that either come to downtown Fort Wayne or to, to to any other place, Fort Wayne or otherwise, they should look at Parkview Field as an example. And I can tell you, other stadiums that have been built from other cities and states in the country have actually looked at Parkview Field. There have been people that have come to Parkview Field to see what exactly the tin caps are doing that is working so well from an operational standpoint. So if we can do that, downtown for another stadium we're going to be in a good spot here's a little bit more logistically about this stadium right so this proposal that was laid out and i want to be abundantly clear here it may come across as some of the things that i will include in my thoughts on this may be political they are not i assure you they are not i will not do that here but just wanted to get that out there so this new stadium would be about a $150 million project that, as I mentioned, it would also include residential areas, presumably apartments, shops, restaurants, and there would also be a field house. That field house could be interesting now that I think about it because it was known a few years ago that the city was at least contemplating trying to bring the Mad Ants and perhaps the Comets to downtown Fort Wayne. I don't think a field house would be enough to lure the Comets to come downtown. Could be enough for the Mad Ants if this plan was to go through. Because unless the plan is to perhaps turn that into more of a recreational space, maybe like a gym, then I wouldn't see what else that they could 
use that space for. Or unless maybe a team like Indiana Tech wanted to use it, which is possible. Uh, speaking of Indiana Tech, I do also want to thank uh, their head coach, Paul Gilbert, who joined us on the show for the last episode, which you can catch right now on Apple Podcasts. You can download that as well as this episode and any other future episodes. But that's exactly what I think we could see for that. Um, and a question. Uh, speaking of Indiana Tech, what is this warrior field that is going, uh, that is being built uh, kind of down the road from the building? Well, so they have their, their current warrior field, which is on their campus. I believe it's still where a lot of their teams play, a lot of teams practice there. But not far from our South Fort Wayne studios, Indiana Tech has built a new complex. And now I think it's just a matter of feasibility maybe even convenience they're trying to get a little more space because it's a very urbanized campus very very landlocked campus there in downtown fort wayne with with two busy streets that run alongside of it so i think maybe their strategy i don't know this for sure but i think maybe their strategy is a little more space we can expand a little bit more but they have more stuff going on out there more stuff going up so that's that's a very very interesting scenario well we'll have to look a little more into that um, it's part of the exciting things that are happening around Fort Wayne when it comes to sports. You know, we we have this Parkview Field. I mean, it has been around a lot longer than what it looks. That's for sure. And, and the longer they keep the facility like that, the longer they can use that. Uh, obviously, renovations have been done over the years to the Memorial Coliseum. You have Homestead opening up a new football stadium. You have Carroll opening up a new stadium a year ago. So there's a lot of things going on. And that's exciting for our community. But that's just one theory about what could happen here, right? Just an idea. But I'd think the Mad Ants, if it's not recreational, would come downtown. So location-wise, what are we looking at here? Anybody that's been in Fort Wayne knows last 15, 20 years, downtown, and John, you'd remember this as well, it is so different than, than, than when we were younger. You know what? I mean, we first remember it was it was always a good area. It is great what they have done to downtown Fort Wayne, and it started with Parkview Field and pushing it a little bit more west. I almost said wester, which is not exactly a word, I don't think, but a little bit more in a westwardly direction, toward kind of going out towards Sweeney Park. And then what has come with it? It's a domino effect. You have the Harrison. You have the parking garage over there, although the parking garage, I believe the Harrison were at least a part of the initial renderings. Cityscape, the apartments that went up across the street, and there's new businesses out there, and that continues to grow. This is a part of almost an almost new phase of that plan to push downtown further northward, which to be fair, I've always really considered that area around the old fort to be part of downtown anyway. But this proposed stadium would be in the vicinity of the Martin Luther King Bridge, and you think Headwaters Park is over there as well. And I think that'd be a very, very enticing proposal. But here is my thing, big picture, right? I don't like the idea that stadiums can just be built or renovated, and then it's public pays for it, right? I would like to see if we could maybe in November, if not perhaps down the road, get an idea like this on a referendum. Because I, I think that this would do so much for our local community. But obviously, those that will pay for it, and there will be a lot of private donations, I'm sure. But there's, of course, there's always taxpayer dollars that goes into building stadiums. And that has to, in my opinion, at least, be agreed to. I don't know why more cities and teams don't do that. But I would just think in the interest of fairness that that would probably be a good idea. If that were to pass, through whatever process it has to go through, again, that's what I think it should do. Will it? I don't know. But whatever process, tell me how exactly that wouldn't be a good idea. Because it's three-pronged. Four-pronged, actually. Soccer. Basketball, perhaps, slash recreation. Residential business all right there and like i mentioned it's not like it's in the middle of nowhere i mean that's the kind of the point and it gives people something more even to do downtown it adds a different dimension to that 
And could you imagine how much business Fort Wayne FC at least could do for a game during Three Rivers Festival in that area? I mean, you could go to a match, and depending on what time the match is, go to Junk Food Alley, go to an event, or perhaps do that beforehand. And if you go Saturday of the fireworks, watch the fireworks from there. And that would do such good business, not to mention it's so close to one of the most historic parts of the city right there in the north central part of town, literally where it started uh, with Fort Wayne. And to anybody, it's not been going down towards downtown over the King Bridge at night. That is a very, very underrated view in town. Go there at night. You see the bridge lit up. You see... See, all the buildings in downtown lit up. And not to mention there's all those other businesses around there. This would be such a good thing for the city and for the future of the club. I don't, I don't foresee MLS being in, obviously, the immediate future. But you see some of the cities that are getting included in MLS. Now, granted, I don't think promotion relegation. I mean, I, that is what should happen. Not just adding clubs, but that's a different conversation. But if Fort Wayne FC has plans to perhaps reach that height one day, and again, we're talking a little bit further down the road, this would be huge. This would be huge for the city to have. As a matter of fact, it'd probably be a prerequisite because we don't have an NFL stadium. We don't have a college football stadium. Having a soccer-specific stadium could certainly put us in line at least to be considered for MLS expansion. But if nothing else, it'll be a way to even keep pace for with the club's current plans to be going up to USL League One. That would put us right on eye level with many of the teams there, if not ahead of them. So I think that this could happen. I, I really do. And, uh, and $150 million to, to you and I, I mean, John, I know you make the big bucks around here, but to, to, to me, to all of us, it seems like a lot, and it is a lot, but... To a city for a project like that, as expansive as that would be, it's not really. It's feasible. If the city supports it, if the people support it, this would be such a good thing for our community. And also, this would serve as, I think, a watershed moment for soccer in this community. Soccer is extremely, extremely popular in this country, in this community, and it's on the rise. That's the key thing about it. But this would give, I think, young kids in Fort Wayne something to look forward to as they continue to go along with their soccer futures and decide what exactly their future holds compared to other sports. I think this would be big for that as well. Just my thoughts on that. I certainly think that this would be good. I certainly think that this is an idea that the city should strongly, strongly consider. And, you know, you were mentioning the taxpayers. That's definitely one, I think, uh, one uh, option we definitely need to look into, like, you know, uh, funding and that referendum um, on, uh, you know, to vote on. Something else, too, I think we also need to consider, um, especially going on, uh, going in downtown around uh, Headwaters Park. We definitely need to get parking situated uh they need to build that that parking facility that you know the city promised us and it's been collecting puddles and puddles of rain yeah i i think i know that they're putting at least one up in the vicinity of of the landing or a couple up around there and then they're coming along but that's gonna be a big thing and traffic is always gonna be a big thing especially in that area i know there's been some road work done down there in recent years that may be one of those situations where you may need to widen that road as well to, to help alleviate traffic getting in and out. But that's certainly doable. Certainly doable. I, I definitely think, too, that once the downtown jail, um, you know, because that is moving, uh, I think once that is moved and all that stuff, you could build a parking garage there as well. You could, you know, use that for... Uh, for, for land as well. Absolutely. You can do so many things. Yeah, the, the, there's space there. And and downtown continues to expand. 
again, more in that Western direction, but there, there's other areas where it's growing and parking is always going to be a big thing when it comes to stadiums because yes, more people now than ever do take mass transit, even though obviously that are always forms of public transportation, even though of course that did take a bit of a dip during, during COVID, but appears to be coming back up with more people taking public transport, more people taking Uber, but that is, that's a big thing. You always have to get those things. And, and nobody ever wants to really think about, okay, do we have to build roads? Do we have to, to do road work, build a parking garage? That's, they don't mention that because that's almost a gimme that you have to do that. And I'm assuming that that would be, if not a part of this initial plan, it wouldn't be far behind. And, and you mentioned, John, the taxpayers. I, there was an interesting story I read up. Uh, just, we, of course, look forward to this year's World Cup. In 2026, the World Cup is going to be in Canada, Mexico, and about three quarters of it's going to be in the the good old U.S. of A. I was very intrigued when they announced the list of host cities a few months ago. One city was not a part of it, and that is a soccer hotbed, a sports hotbed. That is Chicago, Illinois. And I was very curious as to why exactly. And they did something that I thought was very commendable. They wanted to host games. They bid on hosting matches, but when apparently leaders from the city of Chicago contacted FIFA, they asked FIFA, okay, what are we looking at in terms of what we have to dump on our taxpayers? And apparently FIFA, being FIFA, did not exactly give them a very clear and concise answer because money is no object to them, especially with the way that they choose to operate. But since they didn't give Chicago an answer, they, and I I believe one of the Canadian cities as well, dropped out of the running entirely. So it's important. And and I commend city leaders to say, you know what? Unless we know what's going to happen, unless we know that our taxpayers would support it, we're not doing that. So so this is what I come to. This is my, this is my thesis here, right? We talked about school. This is my master's thesis on this segment. If, people of Fort Wayne support this say you know what even if they're not fans of soccer which they should be personal opinion bias but yeah it should be and to anybody that's not a fan of soccer I challenge you to come back to me this December December 21st and say that you didn't like what you saw the last three weeks even if even if the U.S. doesn't play well if you're a fan of this game or you're not a fan of this game there's something in this deal for you and if the city, if the people of the city support it, and the city does, nothing else to talk about. It'd be very, very beneficial. Joining us now on the Just for Kicks podcast is the St. Francis men's head coach, Jake Essig. He is beginning his third season at the helm of the Cougars as they get going a little bit later this week. They'll be back at home next week to start the home portion of their slate. Coach, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I know it's an exciting time for everybody getting the season underway. What what are your feelings? What are your thoughts going into another big year? Yeah, you know, we're we're cautiously optimistic is what we keep saying. We've got a lot of uh, really young and ambitious players here uh, new to the program. And uh, we've had a very short preseason for different reasons, but we've only been in preseason for about a week. Uh, but we got a lot accomplished in that week. And uh, the boys are ready to go as we start regular season play uh, later this week. So it's, uh, it's an exciting time for our program, and um, our culture has really grown, and uh, we really do feel like our best days are ahead of us. So you mentioned that short preseason. Do you think it'll have an effect from a conditioning standpoint when you guys get to that first match against Greenville? Yeah, you know, I think we will have to use uh, more substitutes than we, we normally would. Um, but at the same rate, we're kind of looking at that as a, as a positive to get guys more experience early on in the season. And um, so we don't, again, we don't see that as a negative necessarily. Okay, yeah. So, you know, I was looking ahead at your schedule as well. You guys start with a very interesting kind of quirk to the season, a, a bit of a challenge, four out of five on the road. How do you see that as something as a positive or, or a negative? Obviously, it's going to be tougher. But is there any positive that can come out of, of a scheduling challenge like that? Yeah, you know, we had a really short preseason, and so we weren't able to do a lot of our normal, like, team-building activities. Um, so, like, when we're going to St. Louis later this week, um, we play on the Thursday, and then the Friday we have all day in St. Louis. So we're going to go to 
the arch. We're going to go to the, the zoo. Uh, we're going to do things like that. And so while a lot of those games are away and they're long road trips, there's definitely going to be some positives built into it as well um, in terms of bringing the team together, um, experiencing really tough road games, which is going to prepare us for league play. And um, so, yeah, you could look at it as a negative, but we try to turn everything into to a positive and, and change our mindset a little bit and, and always try to get something out of the experience. Yeah, I like that mentality. I've definitely heard a lot of people that have been to St. Louis say that the Gateway Arch should be on everybody's bucket list. So that'll certainly be a really cool experience for the players, no doubt. But as we you continue to look ahead, you know, you guys obviously will have more home games later in the season. Do you see that as more of an advantage versus traveling late in the year? Obviously, when we talk about student athletes getting more to midterms and finals as, as we get into October, November. Do you think playing more games at St. Francis would be more advantageous? Yeah, we do. We do think so, especially later on in the in the year. Obviously, the academics begin to pick up, and so we want to keep our guys in class as much as possible. Um, the early part of the year, you know, like this St. Louis trip that we're going on, school hasn't even started yet, um, so they should have all the time in the world for it. Uh, later on in the year, obviously, things pick up. So, um yeah, I mean, it, it is what it is. There's always going to be positives and negatives with the schedule. Um, but I think if you were to ask the guys, they would say, you know, we're, we're really happy about it and the way that it's uh, planned out for them. Absolutely. And, you know, we talk about, you know, you, you mentioned there's a lot of good young players. You're trying to build a program, trying to build a culture at St. Francis. How far along do you guys think you are in that process? You know, quite frankly, this is my third season, but it really feels like year one in a lot of ways uh, because the 2020 season was the COVID year, um, which just everything was chaotic because of that. Uh, year two, which was 2021, uh, we had four players go down with significant knee injuries, and then we had a lot of COVID issues even in that season. So I think we had maybe two games last year where we were fully healthy. Um, and so it just really didn't get us a good representation of who we were this year. Um, you know, we got more guys vaccinated, you know, things like that, a little bit bigger roster, um, to try to deal with some of those other issues. And, um, we really do feel like this is year one and it feels like the, the best days are ahead of us. We've really changed our approach in our recruiting as well. And so we have a lot of, uh, they're new players to us, but they're not new and experienced. So we got a lot of JUCO players. We got a lot of internationals that, you know, maybe did a couple years of school in their country that where they came from, and then they want to finish out their education here. And so, uh, again, it's it's a really exciting time to to be where we are. Yeah. Well, let's talk about one thing you mentioned right there, real quick. Obviously, the entire landscape of college athletics has changed dramatically here in the 2020s. But one thing that really even started to change pre-COVID, pre-2020, you know, was the added significance, I guess you could say, of having transfers on your roster. You talk about a lot of JUCO transfers, a lot of international-based players, or players coming from other countries. How do you think that that's an emphasis now? Are, are you guys going to try to you know, recruit more heavily when it comes to transfers and the transfer portal and see if you can maybe get more kids that are upperclassmen perhaps to come into your program. Yeah. I mean, I think we'll, we're always going to look for those players, you know, just because uh, as a coach, I can't make a player older, right? It's just time makes them older. So, but I can recruit a different type of player. You know, for example, we've, we've got a Juco player right now who, who played in the national championship uh, Juco game last year. Um, you know, I, I can't teach that experience that that those matches, you know, gave him, but I can recruit him and we can bring him in, and now he can bring that experience with him and, and help a lot of the, the younger players that we have here just because of his professionalism and, and his experience that uh, he's going to bring. So I think if, as, a, as a college coach nowadays, if you're not looking into transfers, I think you're missing a very, very big market. Um, but at the same rate, I think if you're only looking for transfers, I think you're going to miss out on you know really good domestic players who are coming just out of high school, for example. So here at St. Francis, we don't want to go uh, our recruiting to be only one way. We want to be able to get players in a lot of different ways in case the well runs dry in, in one of those uh, ways, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And you talk about your recruiting out of high school. 
obviously there's a process of getting high school players who are very talented, of course, up to speed to be able to play in the college game. What does that process consist of? You know, I think a lot of it is just, um, you know, conversations with the player. I think it's looking at film. I think it's for the player to understand that uh, collegiate athletics is more than just, um, you know, the technical and the tactical part of the soccer, of, of the sport. It's um, a lot of it's the psychological and being able to handle um, more difficult academics, handle more difficult opponents, handle, you know, referees in a different way, handle the schedule, the intensity of everything. And so uh, that's one thing that we really do focus on is our relationships with our players here and building into their lives um, and giving them resources for them to become the best uh, players that they can become and then the best people that they can become more importantly. Head coach Jake Essig is joining us now here on Just for Kicks. He is the head coach at the University of St. Francis, their men's soccer program. And speaking of St. Francis, that is where on Wednesday, August 31st, you guys will open up the season, at least the home slate anyway, against Calumet. You guys are trying to obviously, as I mentioned, build a program, build you know foundation. How what importance is protecting home field, you know, to to building that long term success? Yeah, you know, we we call our stadium the fortress, um, just because we're obviously in Fort Wayne, um, and so we we try to protect home at all costs. Um, it's it's more or less like a pride thing, you know, um, and. You know, we get, the, we get a train in the environment every day, so we practice where all of our matches are. So we should know the field better than anyone. We should know the way that it plays. Um, we know the, the comfort of our locker room and how we prepare for, for matches. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't want to say it's a win at all costs at home, but it's definitely we, we do everything we can to protect it. And, um, you know, I think that that's a pretty normal mentality for any sports team, but um, – you know, we, we want people leaving St. Francis thinking, wow, that was an incredibly difficult place to play. Even if we lose the match, can they still walk away thinking, wow, we had to do absolutely everything in our power to win the game um, as they go home? Obviously, we don't want that to happen, but, um, you know, it's, that's our mentality. What, what do you think it will take to, to establish that? Uh, I think it's, it's a mindset thing. I think it's... Um, I think it's maturity. I think it's um, uh, compete level uh, that's different. I think it's an effort level that's different. Um, but again, I, th- I think a, a big one is just the, the pride and, uh, and not wanting to lose at home because you're going to be playing in front of your, your friends, your family, uh, your administration, and we need to put the best product out on the field that we can. You, and we, we talked a little bit about recruiting again, kind of harking back to that. One thing that I've always seen over the years is that it's, it's pretty amazing that we have so many high school athletes that play multiple sports. But the unfortunate thing, especially now in the era of NIL and trying to pursue opportunities, that they maybe go more towards basketball and football and sports like mm-hmm. that. How do we keep high school athletes that make the transition to college on the pitch rather than the gridiron or the hardwood? How do we compel more to be soccer players long-term when that's just one of their opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's in the way that the institution treats those other sports, you know, soccer, tennis, cross country. Sometimes at some institutions, those sports are kind of afterthoughts, right? And so maybe their operation budget isn't as big or maybe their facilities aren't as nice and things like that. And so I think those, uh, those, those sports, like those secondary third sports, are they just need to be treated in in a way that they feel valued and, and, and appreciated. And thankfully, here at St. Francis, um, we have an administration, both athletic department-wise, but also just the higher-ups with our vice president and, and certainly our president that really do support uh, men's soccer um, in our budget, in our scholarship, in the locker room, um, in our facilities. And because of that, I mean, I think we've won over some players that either thought about not playing at all or maybe playing a different sport um, just because they felt valued on their experience here, on their visit, uh, the way that an administrator talked to them, the way that social media uh, presents them on our, you know, uh, St. Francis uh, platforms. And so I think it's just those little details um, that can really win over a player. At the same rate, I think part of it, the player has to, you know, want to do it for themselves as well. And, you know, understand that it's not always going to be glitz and glamour and 
part of collegiate athletics is, you know, getting back at two in the morning and you got an 8 a.m. class the next day. And that's just the way it goes. And so um, we, we don't want to, I guess, sell a false promise about the experience, but can we treat them um, to the best of our ability? And I think we do a good job with that. What are you looking for now in recruits? As we you know, talk a little bit about that, what what intangibles? I mean, obviously you can coach, you can teach all you know the things on the field and tactics wise. What are the intangibles that you want in a student athlete? Yeah, you know, for me, the the biggest thing is effort. You know, we we you have to have a, a big effort to you, and it's not just effort when when you're feeling good. It's effort when you have tired legs or you have a tired mind because you've been studying for, you know, an accounting exam. So effort is a non-negotiable for us. Um, we want a very selfless player. Um, what that means is that if you're not in the starting lineup, right, you still have to put your team in front of yourself and, and be the best guy on the bench that you can be. Um, it also means that if you're used to playing a forward position and we have you, you know, as a center back, right, can you be selfless and accept that role and that responsibility? And then I think the third thing for us is that uh, we really want servant leaders on our team. And so that means that if you see trash in the locker room, like you're going to pick it up. If, uh, you know, if, if we're at Subway and, you know, there's a lady who's walking in behind us that you open the door and that you're, you're a servant leader to her in that moment. And I think that those are just some of the intangibles that we really want to be known for, both within our soccer program, but more importantly, the campus community and the Fort Wayne community as well. Like that, like that, you know, that lock, that's, again, comes back to culture. But going a little bit more into, you know, in your background, whether playing or coaching, what was, what would you say is your favorite time involved in the game prior to even this? Like, what was one time in your entire soccer life that, that really stood out to you and, and maybe made you love the sport even more? That's a, that's a really good question. You know, I think for me, um, my first year here in 2020, we were down uh, two to zero with 30 minutes left. Then we got a red card. So we were down two zero with 10 men. We ended up leveling two to two. And then we scored our, the game winner with I think 16 seconds left to win three, two. So it was just a really big moment for our program. And in the sense of that you're down, but you're never out regardless of what the score is, regardless of how many guys you have on the pitch if you can get guys working in the same direction, um, you know, really the, there, there is no ceiling to what you can do. And so that, that's for me is a really big moment here at St. Francis. I could talk about other moments of, of championship teams that we've had, but you know, for me, that was a big moment in my career here so far. Yeah, certainly something to get a kickstart in. And besides goalkeepers and defenders, who doesn't love a, a last second winner? I mean, that is what we, <laughs> at least from a neutral perspective, what we're always here for. But uh, as we yeah. continue on here, um, stylistically, how do you want your team to play this season? How, how do you want them to line up, and how do you want them tactically to proceed throughout the game? Yeah, you know, for me, I am a defensive-minded coach, um, so we have to protect the defensive side of the ball. That's everything from our goalkeeper all the way to our center forward. Um, we, we all have dif- defensive responsibilities. Uh, we're a very pressing team, so we want to we put a lot of pressure on them. Um, and make them feel like uh, their only option is to go backwards with the ball. Um, so from a defensive per- perspective, that's what we're trying to do. In the attack, once we re- regain possession of the ball, we are trying to play a, a nicer brand of soccer than we have in the past. And the main reason why is because we have, we have certain players that uh, have a bit more quality on the ball than we've ever had before. And so once we regain possession, we want to get the ball down and play. And sometimes what that means is it's 15 passes before we get the shot off. Uh, sometimes it's two or three passes, but uh, we certainly want to be a possession-minded team um, and, and create opportunities. And I would say the final thing is, is in the attacking third of the field, we let our players make decisions. We trust them with the ball. We don't tell them exactly what to do. We might paint a picture every now and then of, of some, uh, some ideas, but at the end of the day, we don't want to micromanage our most creative players. We want to give, uh, we want to give them the paintbrush and paint the picture. And so um, it, it's this very rigid, uh, hard-nosed defensive mindset. But then in the attack, it's this very free-flowing, more artistic uh, way of looking at it. And so 
Um, if you can kind of conceptualize that, um, that's kind of our approach in our, in our style of play. Just to wrap things up here, Coach, one last question for you. Big picture, what are your expectations for this upcoming season? You know, we want to be a top team in our league. And what that means is that we're securing a, a playoff spot as quickly as possible. Um, and then during the playoffs, we want to make a run, right? And, and, and we, we want to be in the championship game at the end of the day. Um, what that means is that we stay healthy, COVID stays out of the way, um, and that we continue to, to stay together as a team, whether we win, lose, or draw in the, the regular season play um, as we prepare for that postseason run. Well, certainly, I definitely always want to go deep into the tournament. I'll be hoping good things for you. Again, that's St. Francis Men's Soccer Head Coach Jake Essig. Coach, thank you so much for joining us. And again, they start with a couple of road games, but August 31st, uh, which is a Wednesday night, they'll be at home against Calumet. Once again, Coach Essig, thank you so much for joining us here on Just for Kicks. Yeah, thanks for having me. Look forward to uh, doing this again with you guys. We'll have to do it again here soon. Thanks, Coach. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, thanks again to Coach Essig for joining us here on the show. And once again, August 31st is the home opener for the St. Francis Cougars as they look to get his third season started on the on the right note. They do have two road games, so we'd be hoping the best for them. Hopefully our local teams do rather well here as they start play in NAIA. So now we move on to our Around the Region segment. And I listened back to our last episode, John. And I remember I started this segment by saying you can't have hope, and you tried to convince me that you should always have hope. But then the problem is the teams that you follow, or you support, maybe just suck that hope right out of you. And if you were a soccer fan in Indiana or Illinois, <laughs> and if you have hope still, oh boy, uh, good on you. You are an eternal optimist. At least the Chicago Red Stars and NWSL have given supporters still a reason to hope out of a little bit of fortune as they took an absolute drubbing at the hands of the North Carolina Courage this weekend on the road. They lost 4-0, but I don't know how. They did not lose a place in the standings. They, they were sixth in the standings. That's the last place in the playoff spot. And they still somehow managed to hold on to that position. They will need points from their upcoming matches, though. We'll get to that in a moment. But to break down what happened to them this weekend, they were in the game 1-0, late second half, and then they fell apart. Last 26 minutes, they conceded three times. And after that, it, it became this convincing courage win 4-0. But, again... They're still in the final playoff spot, but now it just makes the position all the more tenuous because here's what they're looking ahead. They they have played one more match than Angel City, which is not very fortunate, obviously, because they're going to play one less game than a team that they lost to just recently. But they have a couple games that they absolutely need to at least get wins from, if not at least points. They have road games against Racing Louisville and the OL Reign. Absolutely need points there because if you don't, you go zero points from a possible six. Yes, you can still make it up, but now all of a sudden you're in a position where maybe you have to make it up. And you don't want to have to do anything unless it gets to playoff time, and then obviously you just have to win anyway. It's the way it works. It's how champions are crowned. They need to get points from these games. And I'd say probably at least four points. Just to make sure they, they can hold off Angel City. Who again, are, are the new kids on the block in the NWSL. And if they can do that, then they'll be in a good position to qualify for the playoffs. Not in a good position are their fellow Chicagoans, the Chicago Fire. Initially, when we started working on notes for episode one, John, they were in the playoff spots. I believe they were in... Fifth or sixth place. Guess what place in the Eastern Conference standings they are now? Ninth? Tenth? Twenty. There aren't 20 teams, but if if it could be 20, they'd be 20. They are in 12th. (laughs) They have, in the space of a little over a week, dropped by about six spots in the standings. But to be fair to them, it's it's very tight right now. They're only about five points out of the last playoff spot. But... (sighs) How unlucky can you get? 
They've dropped about half the conference in terms of standings. They have plummeted. Oh, my goodness. Down to 12th. When I looked at the table again after their, after their most recent loss at home to New York City FC, I just could not believe it. Uh, but then again, I also couldn't believe seeing how far up they were in the, in the table given how they've been in recent years. Yes, I think Jordan Shakiri's arrival, the Swiss international, f- formerly of Liverpool, has breathed some new life into this club. And they've needed it in recent seasons, of course, but their 2-0 loss at home to, NYF- to NYCFC has put them in a bad spot. Now they're in that trailing position. We talked about the Red Stars. You don't want to play from behind. Rather, play from in front. Needless to say, that's where they're at. Well, the question is in terms of where they're at, where are they playing at? I've talked about this before, and this story just got more and more baffling over the course of this week. The Chicago Fire a couple years ago moved out to Soldier Field in downtown where they share a stadium with the Chicago Bears. The Chicago Bears played a preseason game against the Kansas City Chiefs in which it was so bad, the field condition was, that the NFL Players Association president tweeted out basically saying shame on the league and shame on both of those teams for forcing the players to play there and I'd even extend that to the Chicago Parks District, who I don't know what they were thinking. They played after they had an Elton John concert a few days prior. But, you know, things happen. The Fire are playing away from home right now, or what is their new home. They're playing at their old home. Same place as the Chicago Red Stars play that's out in Bridgeview, not far away from Chicago. It's, it's, in, it's in Chicago land. It's where... I'm sure a lot of people there say that they're from Chicago, even if they're not. They're playing out there at what used to be called Toyota Park. It's SeatGeek Stadium now. And they lost there. But I got to say, I don't know when they're going back to Soldier Field because after the debacle of a few weeks ago, you would have thought they would have said, okay, we have to call off musical performances because our two tenants here our most revenue-generating tenant is threatening to leave and is pretty far along on that process, and our other permanent tenant can't play at home. So let's just go ahead and let's say, you know what? Sorry, guys. People bought tickets. It's a rock and a hard place. I understand that, but let's try to find some alternative. Nope, they didn't. As a matter of fact... Bad Bunny performed there over the weekend in front of what looked to be at least 70,000 people, many of whom were sitting on the floor. I think they have another concert coming up as if the, the, the again, I think it was Paul McCartney that played there a couple weeks ago. Oh, Elton John. Okay, Elton John. Yeah, John, your memory is a lot sharper than mine. The mind is the first thing to go. That's what they always say. That, I mean, what? Like, don't they don't they learn and say you know what guys look i'm sorry but it's a genuine player safety thing i mean they're they're gonna have to resod soldier field less than a week before the chicago bears about a week before the chicago bears actually play there in a regular season game we don't know what the fire are are gonna wind up doing that that's a that's a tough spot now granted this doesn't excuse them being pretty much outplayed by by New York City over the weekend. But still, they're they are that that's a rough spot. And especially now because they need they need wins. They're chasing Columbus crew for that last playoff spot. And they have a home game against Montreal. Now I'm probably gonna have to see where exactly they're gonna play that game. Um my gut instinct says SeatGeek Stadium because I can't imagine the field is in any better condition than what it was a week or so ago. So they'll have Montreal. Montreal, though, currently sits in second place in the Eastern Conference, so what a time to play them. Although, after Manchester United got a royal humbling done to them, I believe by Brentford, everybody said, wow, a great time for you to play the one of the best teams in the Premier League in Liverpool, and they won. So may- maybe that's maybe that can carry over from... From England, from the jolly old country of England over to the Windy City. I don't know. They need to get something from that game. They do have 
two games against Eastern Conference teams that are currently in the playoffs, Montreal, as well as New England Revolution. And that's an opportunity to gain points on teams like that. Montreal's going to make the playoffs. That, that, that seems pretty much like a dead set guarantee. But you can gain points on New England. You can gain points on the Eastern Conference. They are important games. Fire have to win. Indy 11, on the other hand, needed to start winning like two weeks ago. And they haven't exactly done that. They lost to Tulsa 1-0 on Saturday. And now they face basically must-wins pretty much going forward. There are only two playoff positions out of that last playoff spot in the USL Championship. The only problem is they play, I mean, they play San Antonio and then Louisville City, two teams that they could beat, but there's 17 points out of the playoffs. So if you're looking at this, they are at best five wins and two draws from making the postseason. It is a very, very hairy scenario, and that is you got to hope for help. So Indy 11, I hate to say that it's time for them to start thinking about next year, but if they don't win these two games coming up against San Antonio and Louisville, their home matches, which should help, but if they don't, if they can only get at most two points, maybe even if they get four points, it's not going to be enough. They need six. They need six points from these matches. Won't be easy. They need six. They need to hope for help. John talked a little bit earlier in the show, though, as we shift gears here. Talked a little bit earlier in the show about last night, I'm scrolling through Instagram, and you just never know, obviously, on social media, you never know what you're going to find on there. I found a story that I thought was really, really cool. So there are a lot of European leaks because they go on a schedule that sort of imitates the NFL and then ends right around the time, a little past the time of college basketball. It really kind of goes along with what the American school year does. Starts usually in August. It's started a little bit earlier now to make room for the World Cup in November. And it usually goes until about, about May. There are some leagues in Europe that actually take breaks for the holidays. So that way players, especially that, that aren't from that country, can go home. One of those leagues is the Ukrainian Premier League. It took a holiday break that was supposed to end in February. Sadly, though, I think listeners can probably anticipate what happened as in February, the players, I believe it actually resumed training, but unfortunately for them, their league was postponed as the news would show us what exactly happened with with Russia invading Ukraine, and they have not played. That is until just the other day. The Ukrainian Premier League has actually restarted. It is an incredible scenario. There have been reports that some of the stadiums have actually had to be equipped with bomb shelters. It is an unimaginable situation that obviously has been reality for some in various parts of the world and you hope never ever grows. But I think it's a really cool story as it shows this this resilience in the face of everything that's going on there. It's certainly certainly a, a story that I'll continue to follow, see what all happens with their league. Obviously, I'm sure those players know any day things could change. It's a very, very fluid situation, as we know, but I'm not a news reporter. I'm not going to, you know, to, to, to go in to that side of things, but it's it's really cool to see what the human spirit can do. And I also got that feeling when we watched Ukraine, because people don't know this, but... When the group stage round of World Cup qualifying in Europe ended back in back in November, I believe, of 2021, Ukraine qualified for a spot in the World Cup playoffs. Those were due to be held in March, and for obvious reasons, Ukraine's playoff path had to be, or at least their semifinal against Scotland and the final against Wales, had to be postponed. And they could not play any home matches. I don't think they were scheduled to anyways. These were one-match playoffs. But I think most people thought, okay, the Ukrainians' minds are probably elsewhere. It's it's good for them just to play. But they went out in that semifinal, and they dominated Scotland on the road. And they won. And here's the twist, John. Or here's a little, or I shouldn't say a twist. It's not really that. An interesting scenario. Had Ukraine have beaten Wales and gone to the World Cup, 
Guess who their first opponent would have been in Qatar? I'll give you a hint. Russia? Russia's been disqualified, but... Oh. The good old US of A. Oh, that, nice. That, 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 would, that would have been their opponent. Unfortunately, though, Ukraine did not qualify. They, they, they lost to Wales. Wales will instead be the US first opponent, but it's very cool to see this stuff coming back over there, and, and hopefully, hopefully it persists. And look, I, I'm, not, I'm not a political guy. I don't pretend to be. It's, it's, not, it's not my world. But hopefully, in some way, because this game has had a history of mending fences, and, and you just hope that in some way that this could somehow bring an end to that conflict over there. Um, but if nothing else, it is great to see resolve and resilience like that. I just had to throw that in. I thought that was such a cool story. And obviously, you know, our thoughts and prayers go out to everybody there and everybody it's impacted by conflicts around the world and we hope and we pray that that's not something we have to talk about for very much longer but i just thought that that'd be really really cool to share and hopefully they can conclude their season and all the very best of luck to all those teams but just want to put that out there um talk about that i thought that was really cool then as we go Maybe not wider in the world of soccer, but in the wide world of soccer in general. This is a story, John, that transcends the Atlantic Ocean because the big talking point of the Premier League in terms of where the players come from, well, it wasn't English players this past weekend. It wasn't German players or Italians, no. It was American players, John. It was American players because if you're looking for a Premier League team to support, may I suggest Leeds United. Why? Well, they don't exactly have a great track record of success, but this is a fascinating story. Leeds United were set to be relegated, which means that they would fish so low in the standings that they'd have to drop down to the second division after I worked their way back up. Until last year, they decided they probably watched that show on, on, I think it's Apple Plus or Apple TV called Ted Lasso. They probably watched that show and said, you know what? That's a good idea because Jesse Marsh, the American-born head coach, formerly of Red Bull Leipzig, who admittedly I wanted and still think could be a U.S. national team head coach one day, depending on what the outcome of this World Cup is or maybe the next World Cup. Jesse Marsh was hired, and he was brought into basically what seemed an unrescuable situation, and it was thought that he has the long leash to to get the squad ready for next year. But Jesse Marsh, he organized the team, and they stayed up in the Premier League, but got to then fight for your survival then. He makes a couple signings. Two of his biggest signings, right? were American Brendan Aronson and American Tyler Adams. They played Chelsea this week, this past week. And they destroyed Chelsea 3 to 0. The first goal w- was like a quarterback sits in the pocket a little bit too much and then here comes that corner on the blitz from absolutely nowhere. Edward Mendy, the Chelsea goalkeeper, he's got the ball at his feet, he's looking for somebody to pass to. Here comes Aronson on like a 30-yard run, blocks the pass, takes it away from Mendy, and taps into an open net for a, a, a goal that shouldn't have happened. It was a big mistake by Mendy, but an American goal, no less. It, it was as American as apple pie, John, and I don't know if you, but I love me some apple pie. Um, apple pie is an American tradition, so yes. bring me some apple pie. If you don't have apple pie, either a barbecue over the summer or at Thanksgiving, it's probably because either somebody forgot to bring it or you're just too full or, or, or maybe, maybe it's just it, it, the family just doesn't make it. We respect that, but it gets better though. It's even, it's like the sweetest apple pie because one of the most underrated players of that game was Tyler Adams from, I believe he's from New Jersey, pleased to play for the New York Red Bulls. He's in his first season there, as is Aronson. Adams 
controlled the midfield. His stats were crazy. He won several individual ground battles. He covered, I don't even know how much ground, and possession was outstanding. He played a brilliant game. That's on the Leeds United part. Over on the Chelsea side, I don't know about you, John, sometimes when a team loses, I'm like, I just want to get a feel for what they're doing, and social media allows us to do that. So I go over. Last year, I did this after their Champions League loss, Chelsea, uh, against Real Madrid. And everybody was seemingly dogging one person in particular on Chelsea's Instagram. And that just so happened to be Mr. Captain America himself, the wonder kid from Hershey, Pennsylvania, Christian Pulisic, the face of the U.S. national team right now. He missed some good chances. And they seem to be his light. Uh, he seems to be the lightning rod for criticism, unfairly in my eyes. But that's, of course, with a little bit of bias. I go to Chelsea's Instagram expecting to hear get rid of him, sell him, do whatever, send him wherever, because that's what they've, they've done that before. People were actually saying that Christian Pulisic looked like he was the one that actually gave Chelsea some life. So, John, I mean, is it like the 4th of July this past weekend, or is it a little preview of what's to come? I think November 25th, Black Friday, USA versus England in the World Cup. I'm not going to make a prediction on that one just yet. Stay tuned later in the show, or later in the series, rather, and we'll have that. But it was amazing. I think Black Friday is coming early. I hope so. And I hope that what we, except for the the, the crazy lines of people shoving people at, at Walmart and Best Buy, I know with COVID, obviously, it's changed a lot of that. And even though the world is getting going back to the, the new normal, at least, Guys, you can save that for 2019. You can leave that part in 2019. If you want to go out there at 3 a.m., it's all cold. Be my guest. But I'm just saying, we can leave that part in last year. But maybe, maybe you can just sleep in, right? Here's the ideal scenario, John. Here's what I want to happen on Black Friday. I want us to have beaten Wales because I think that's a must-win game. I, I think... England's a better team than we are. Iran is going to sit in and play defensively, and we, for whatever reason, cannot beat teams when they do that. We beat Wales. We have our Thanksgiving turkey. We watch our football. We, we watch all the other games and events. We go to sleep. I will not be out there in all likelihood in any lines. You'll see me there in December, and things will still be there. We wake up. You know, maybe go for a little walk, have a light lunch. It's an early afternoon game. My ideal scenario is USA scores early and either scores often or puts the absolute dagger in our friends from across the pond and scores right at the end to put the game away. And we celebrate. And then we immediately after the final whistle run to the fridge. We grab our leftovers. We shove it all in the microwave and we get it going and we enjoy ourselves that is the dream scenario please can it happen please i would love nothing more than that to happen but admittedly i have my doubts but it's it's been a roller coaster the last few months since the draw happened but that i'm telling you it it's possible it's possible in this young generation of u.s talent I'm going to say this now, and I'm going to say this over the next four years. If I had a pick, not for who would win this year's World Cup, and I'll end the show with this. Who do I think is going to win the 2026 World Cup where the final will be on American soil? I think the red, white, and blue of the USA will do it. And that's not just a homer pick. That's me actually thinking a little bit critically. Johnny, you got a smile on your face because I know we all want it to happen. And the, the rumor is that final could be in Philadelphia even. That, 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 or Dallas or around the 250th birthday of America. That would be a dream. Would you go to the game if you had the chance? If I had the chance, yes. I most likely will not have the chance. But immediately after the host cities were announced over the summer, my dad, brother, and I said... 
we need to find what city we're going to, boys. We're, we're putting the money aside. We are going to a game. It doesn't necessarily have to be the U.S. playing. We are going to a game. Unfortunately, there just aren't many cities in the Midwest that are hosting it, but we're going We're going somewhere. If we're going somewhere, I'd love for it to be the final. And as bless you, as Christian Pulisic lifts the trophy above his head, that'd be a dream. I think that's a good place to end it. As we can dream some hopefully wonderful dreams. And you know what? Team USA, look, I'm not the most patient guy in the world. If you wanted to win the World Cup, let's do it in December here. Let's, let's lift it in Qatar as well. And let's just never look back. Why not dream the big dream, John? And then when it doesn't come to fruition, dream some more big dreams. So that's where we're going to cut it off today. I want to thank you all. That was a fun episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it as well. We have so much more to come. We'll have more next week. We'll have some more guests. We'll have great content because the soccer world does not keep, does not stop spinning on its axis, I should say. So as we sign off, remember, we have a lot going on in our world right now. So be positive, smile, help one another, and we'll see you next time. For John Graham, Matthew Klingenberger, hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll see you next time here on the Just for Kicks podcast.